Welcome to the Firefly Innovations Podcast, where we explore the frontiers of innovation in public health. To tackle global challenges, we need innovative public health-based approaches to transform communities, improve population health, and contribute to a sustainable economy. We will sit down with entrepreneurs, investors, academics, and the leaders needed to create widespread systems change. Coming from Firefly Innovations, based in the City University of New York, the largest, most diverse urban university in the world, here's Jared Hendry with today's guest. Our next guest is Dr. Terry Huang, Professor and Chair of the Department of Health Policy and Management, Director of the Center for Systems and Community Design, and Co-Director of the NYU CUNY Prevention Research Center at the City University of New York Graduate School of Public Health and Health Policy. Previously, Terry played a leading role at the U.S. National Institutes of Health on the integration of system science and public health. Terry has had a long history of research and policy leadership in the area of obesity and chronic disease prevention. In addition, he is passionate about systems-oriented community health, design for health, public health entrepreneurship, and strategies for collective impact. Terry has lectured and published extensively on these and other topics. In addition to his varied academic research endeavors, his current work also focuses on innovations at the intersection of business, design, and health. He is the founder of Firefly Innovations, a new global public health entrepreneurship platform focused on fostering entrepreneurs from underserved communities and solutions that target multiple UN Sustainable Development Goals. Terry has received many awards for his public health work, including the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Secretary's Innovation Award in 2010, the NIH Director's Award in 2011, and the National Cancer Institute Award of Merit in 2012. Terry holds a PhD in preventative medicine and a master's in public health from the University of Southern California, an MBA from IE Business School in Madrid, Spain, and a BA in psychology from McGill University. Terry, thank you so much for joining us today. And Terry, I'm, I'm really grateful that you were interested in sitting down given uh, I know the immense amount of time that you dedicate to traveling around the world. And I know you were just um, in the last couple of months, you've been on a bit of a roadshow um, presenting papers and, and, and speaking at conferences. And so just very honored that you were uh, interested in sitting down for this conversation. And I know that this conversation is going to be kind of a wide-ranging conversation. It's going to include your work on obesity, uh, discussing nutrition, the opioid epidemic, and I think we'll probably touch on the coronavirus uh, pandemic that's that's um, dominating the news right now. And um, also importantly, we're going to talk about your recent initiative called Firefly Innovations. And um, so I'm just really honored, Terry, that you sat down and and you are a person that has had a, a really impressive career. You have just recently completed your MBA from IE Business School. Congratulations. That's one of the best schools in the world. Well, uh, first off, uh, Jared, uh, thanks so much for having me. Uh, it's a real pleasure. Well, Terry, what I, what I see is that um, when you confront these huge challenges, like you have to do like obesity and um, you know, chronic disease management and these big overarching public health 
issues. I'm interested to know, like, what is your approach to kind of breaking down that problem and and figuring out where to start and and kind of what can we learn from that? Right. So as a scientist, um, I'm trained to analyze the problem by first researching what is known about the problem. What are the solutions that others have tried? Um, And then I like to create a model or framework that helps to identify the components of the problem and how they're related to each other. So I think that that's always a really good starting point, you know, um, because chances are someone has encountered a similar problem before. And it's always very useful to know how other people have approached the problem and uh, what we can learn um, from how they have approached the problem. I'm also a very visual person, which is why, you know, I, I talk about this, uh, the creation of a model or framework um, that helps me visualize um, what, the, uh, what are all the contributing uh, factors or components going into the problem, and very importantly, how these factors and components are actually interrelated. No, do you like write that down on a whiteboard, for example, or what does that process look like of, of showing those interrelations? Yeah, it could be. I mean, it could be it could be writing down if it's something really complex and I can't keep it all in my head. Then yes, it's you know um, about writing it down. Uh, much like you know how I approach science, um, I'm you know uh, I, I I I I lean very much you know to just like drawing, you know, on a piece of white paper, um, trying to figure out like, okay, what are all the contours, you know, of this problem and, um, and the, uh, the moving parts, you know, that drive the problem. You know, I do this kind of on a regular basis in terms of my own scientific work. Um, and then, so I think it's very apropos, you know, for problems in life as well. Um, and then once you kind of have a, a, a sort of a bird's eyes view, if you will, you know, of like what's going on, really, um, then you move into action mode. Um, and problems that are complex, you know, may be so overwhelming that you can't really envision uh, uh, attacking, you know, the entire complexity of the problem at once. So... Sometimes it's helpful to chunk the problem so we can solve one component at a time. But it's really important to always be keeping an eye on how the solution for that one component might affect other components at at the same time. And um, because again, you know, complex problems have components that are that 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 are related and connected to each other. So um, iteration, I think, is really key. We don't always, you know. Uh, figure out how to solve the problem the first time, but you can't learn um, until uh, until you try to do something about it, um, and um, hopefully you fail, and then you can learn from that failure. Um, but then the the key is to go back, right, um, in an iterative fashion, um, and you keep trying and you keep innovating while you're trying. So um, doing nothing for sure is not an option, and I think that this is also where a lot of people. Um, fall, you know, because they're so daunted uh, by the complexity of the problem, they don't know where to start. So they end up doing nothing. Yeah, not making a decision or inaction is still action. Right. And you're kind of perpetuating or maybe even aggravating the problem, you know, by not taking action. Is like, what are some of those kind of systemic 
actions that can be kind of taken to, to curb this obesity epidemic. Like I know that I think it was maybe five years ago, I think it was Mike Bloomberg actually as the mayor of New York mm-hmm. and he banned really large sodas. And there was this huge like outcry against it that right. this is America. We need our 45 ounce sodas. I don't know the exact number, but uh, that's right. hyperbolic of course. So just wondering, yeah. is there anything that can kind of be done from a, a systemic level to, to help, stem this issue i think i think i think there are a lot of things um so you know um although we've been talking about obesity as a big complex systems challenge um you know there um and 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 as a result you know difficult to tackle Um, but that said you know there have been successes you know right here in new york city uh, my colleagues and I have just published a paper recently showing a steady decrease um, in the prevalence of childhood obesity among public school children in recent years. Um, and uh, to a great extent, um, I think this is because of the concerted multi-pronged efforts that public health has taken aggressively um, to address childhood obesity in New York City. Um, you know, the... Um, you know, we, you talked about income, um, you know, and I think fundamentally we have an economic system that is a promoter um, of in the obesity, o- o- obesogenic environment, you know, that, that, that leads all of us, you know, to um, kind of have a high likelihood of over-consuming and um, not you know, uh, exercising and expending uh, uh, physical activity um, related, um, you know, uh, energy. And um, so I think the economic system, you know, uh, is set up, you know, so that we have, you know, lots of unhealthy foods in the supply chain um, and that those foods are really, really cheap, um, therefore very accessible, right? Um and um and and that we have uh uh you know urban design uh, that promotes you know car transport um and therefore we don't have to walk so much uh you know on a routine basis um and so you know these are really big challenges um but i think that you know given um the fact that we are now in the early stages of moving towards a more sustainable economic system because the system as we've known it is creating so much social and political instability that uh the system has to change you know we have an opportunity um to reimagine you know what the system could look like and how uh public health and health promotion could be um a, a factor uh, in the design of this new sustainable economic system. So I'll give you one example. Um, you know, technology is evolving very fast. And in maybe 10, 15 years, you know, most of us won't own cars anymore because, you know, cars are going to be self-driving and they're going to be owned by fleet operators. Um, and so what that means is one third of um, urban land use is suddenly not going to be taken up by cars. You know, that's right. I mean, a third wow. of our city, you know, land uh, is actually used up by, you know, uh, uh, parking. And so wow. imagine if um, all that new space is recuperated, 
by uh, by you know uh, by the public. You know what can we do with that space? Um, you know that will actually uh, help create a different kind of city uh, that is going to be health promoting, right? Um, a lot of it gives me you know I, I can imagine so many different things, um, and uh, so so I I think that technology is going to give us a lot of new opportunities. Obviously, there are risks as well if we're not. You know, thinking boldly enough, or uh, thinking ahead, you know, to plan um, for a uh, improved public health future. Um, by uh, if we do, um, then I think we will have tremendous opportunity um, to create a a better environment and better world. Now, one thing I would mention is that in the study um, that I talked about in New York City, although the um, average, uh, you know, population uh, prevalence of childhood obesity decreased um, for all uh, school children. We nonetheless found that the, the, the disparity uh, between groups actually widened over time. So it meant that not every group uh, uh, has benefited equally um, from the aggressive interventions implemented in New York. Um, and unfortunately, um, you know, uh, it is the, uh, the groups, the communities, um, that are more disadvantaged, um, you know, that, uh, that have not, um, been benefited as much. Um, and so even if they are also, um, showing decreases in childhood obesity, uh, prevalence, um, the decrease is not as much as the decrease in, uh, other kids. So I think that that's really important, you know, to kind of keep in mind that, you know, when we uh, implement, you know, these uh, interventions in public health, you know, are we uh, really, um, you know, impacting um, the groups, you know, that really need the interventions the most? I just came back from Mexico, uh, you know, maybe, what, three weeks ago um, before the whole uh, coronavirus outbreak um, really took hold. And I was down there uh, for uh, World Obesity Day. Um, so in, in addition to my academic role, I also serve as the uh, vice president for North America for the World Obesity Federation, which is the umbrella global body um, representing national and regional um, uh, societies um, of obesity uh, science and obesity medicine. And um, uh, March 4th uh, was the first unified World Obesity Day, and Mexico had um, uh, a lot of events planned um, to really raise awareness um, about uh, um, obesity. Uh, but specifically, um, they um, uh, uh, planned these events um, in order to raise awareness about the um, a new policy that they uh, have passed in the legislature, the national legislature back in January, um, on front of pack uh, nutrition warning labels. So this is uh, similar to the system um, that's been in place in Chile, um, where you know very easy um, uh, designations labels um, would be displayed on the front of uh, packaged goods. Um, and, um, you know, 
essentially would be an easy way to tell consumers whether the product is uh, in excess of sugar, fat, uh, sodium, um, or uh, calories. And um, yeah, so it's, uh, uh, you know, again, it's a policy that, you know, is very interesting because, you know, we know for a long time now that the traditional nutrition labels uh, with the, you know, number, uh, numbers that are being displayed um, have not been very effective. Um, they're very difficult for consumers to understand. Um, and, uh, and uh, so as a result, you know, even though it's a really good public, public, public policy to have nutrition labels, uh, the labels um, traditionally have not achieved uh, the impact that they're designed to achieve. And so and I think if I'm wrong here, Terry, but I think that in some cases, some studies have actually shown that those nutritional labels have actually achieved the opposite outcome. Yeah, yeah. So I have published a paper many, many years ago in adolescent boys, for example, and I found that adolescent boys were actually consuming more when they read the labels um, because it were, <laughs> you know, that hypothesis, I couldn't prove this in my study, but hypothesis was that maybe they were focusing on the protein, for example, the protein content. And so they were just eating, you know, uh, whatever products um, that had uh, higher, you know, protein content. Yeah. Or so, the calories know, in general. So, so people could actually misread <laughs> or, you know, they could read the, you know, um, the, 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 the labels um, and then behave uh, in sort of the opposite way. Um, and uh, so in any event, so I think but, but the front of pack labels, I'm excited about the front of pack labels that Mexico and Chile have um, in part because I think that this is potentially one system that could actually um, change social norms. Um, because once people are able to better understand and identify, you know, the mm -hmm. products that may not be as healthful for them, um, they are going to demand um, different kinds of products, right? So they will basically choose alternative products that may not have those warning labels, uh, which in turn um, will spur uh, industry to innovate further and reformulate their products or come up with um, new products. And um, so I think that this could really um, kind of uh, disrupt um, the status quo and help create a, um, a, a new ecosystem, if you will, you know, that eventually leads to uh, better supply of healthy products. Um, and um, so, um, I think that's going to be very interesting to watch, you know, what happens. Terry, that may be the perfect transition point um, on the topic of innovation to turn to uh, an initiative that you founded along with the City University of New York. It's called Firefly Innovations. Um, and you sure. kind of focus on um, bringing uh, innovative health policy changes and, and, and supporting innovators in the health policy and, and health innovation space. So I'm wondering if you can kind of just talk about that. Yeah, sure. So um, when I finished my MBA in 2018, um, it was sort of uh, uh, close to the five-year mark um, of my tenure at uh, CUNY School of Public Health. And I have always um, reinvented myself every five years. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> You're like yeah. a caterpillar. And oftentimes, you know, I think that's actually one of my strategies um, for, you know, being productive, but also making sure that I'm um, always doing something innovative and interesting and helping to move, you know, the needle on something. Um, and But in years past, that usually... Um, you know, meant that I, I would basically move to a different job, go to a different organization. Uh, but this time around, um, I decided to stay put and really become an entrepreneur uh, within my own, own organization um, and indeed my, my field, the field of public health. And the reason for that is because uh, one of the reasons why I even went to uh, business school in the first place so late in my career um, was because I realized that so much public health uh, research and development um, never really goes anywhere. Um, there's very little scale up um, in terms of public health innovation. Um, and, uh, and even on public health innovation, we could do so much more because, uh, you know, if we only kind of had the right system in place, you know, that allow us um, to learn faster um, and improve faster. Um, and so part of what Firefly Innovations um, is trying to do is to basically set up um, a public health entrepreneurship platform um, to foster uh, innovation and to uh, uh, um, um, bring business modeling um, into public health so we can be better equipped um, and scaling up and sustaining uh, public health innovation. So it's not to throw, throw out the traditional R&D toolbox that we have in public health, um, but to add to it um, and bring more dynamism um, into how we do public health. Looking forward to the future, what are some of those areas where you think this is where entrepreneurs or innovators could really make a difference in the public health sphere? Like, What would Firefly really be keen at supporting? Mm, well, you know, I mean, we're in a, a really unprecedented moment right now, you know, with the coronavirus and just think about all the challenges that we have uh, at the individual level, at the community level, at the, you know, policy and system level. Um, there's so much innovation, you know, that can be had. Um, and in fact, you know, uh, one of the uh upcoming events um, that we hope to launch, you know, through Firefly Innovations, you know, will be focused on the pandemic. Um, and I just think to myself, you know, with everybody being sequestered at home, uh, you know, this is going to, we have a mental health crisis, you know, looming. And, uh, and what are the solutions, um, you know, uh, for, for that, right? In addition to solutions for the coronavirus itself. Um, you know, how do we uh, keep communities uh, stitched together when we can't see each other, you know, uh, physically, when we can't touch each other um, and socialize with each other, um, you know, uh, in, in real space? And um, so it, it, there are tremendous challenges. Um, and uh, you know, and if we go by the traditional R&D mechanism, it would take months, if not years, before someone gets the funding needed to actually do the research. You know, then five years later, you know, we might have a product, you know, that could be turned into 
uh, something that is scalable and sustainable. That's too long, right? Um, things are happening so fast and so dynamically right now that we need a way to actually um, come up with innovations and, and, and get the innovations out to as many people as possible uh, in a much faster cycle. Um, and so uh, there's so many things. So we initially had actually, we were going to focus on two other ideas. You know, one was uh, maternal and newborn health, and the other one is on sustainable food systems. But because of the pandemic, you know, happening right now, um, we decided that, you know, maybe uh, we'll focus on the pandemic um, next, you know, uh, for uh, for our innovation challenge and, um, you know, a summer accelerator that we're planning at the moment. So, yeah, there's just uh, the, the possibilities are endless. What um, what kind of things have you learned? Like you did your MBA recently at, for, for those folks that don't know it, the school's um, IE business school, it's in Madrid. It's, I think, ranked pretty consistently in the top 10 or five schools um, in the world. And so I'm interested to know, like you said, that you went through this reinvention process and, and mm. through that process, you came out with Firefly. Um, and so I'd be interested to know, what have you learned in, through your business school training that you think is going to be really helpful? Like what's that number one most important thing that's going to be helpful as you're launching Firefly and, and trying to build uh, this platform out? Yeah, so I think besides a foundational business knowledge um, that I acquired at, uh, at IE, uh, one thing that IE has taught me was to be bold, uh, be bold in terms of uh, the ideas that I put forward. You know, nothing is really too crazy um, to, to, to think about and, you know, try to uh, play with and see if I can, you know, come up with a uh, uh, you know, a, a test, you know, to see um, how this idea might fly. Um, but also be bold in talking to everyone. Um, and, you know, everyone has uh, the potential um, to share some kind of insight with me uh, or connect me, you know, with someone else, you know, that person knows who then, you know, might be able to help me, right? So really kind of putting yourself out there and uh, talking to as many people as possible, um, you know, and that takes, um, that's not natural, you know, for a lot of people. Um, uh, bold also in not being afraid to fail. So I have no idea if Firefly Innovation is going to work. Um, I could, it could, it could completely fall flat on its face, you know, and, um, but that's okay, right? Um, because if I don't try this, I will never know. Um, if it has a potential to succeed and do some good, you know, for public health. Um, and so we're just kind of plugging along. I mean, we don't have, you know, really much uh, in the way of funding. Uh, it's really a, a bootstrapped, you know, operation right now. I've got a couple of uh, diehard, you know, staffers, you know, who, uh, like me, really believe uh, in the cause and the possibilities. And so, you know, they're putting in their time and energy, um, you know, to really help me build this. And uh, and, and so, um, so that's one thing. I think the other thing that I think is so important that IE has taught me um, is the virtue of collaboration um, in um, letting others do what they do best. Um, as much, just as much as how 
you know, my mentors in life, you know, have given me the trust to let me do what I needed to do. I also need to trust others, you know, to come through. And sometimes they may get to the destination via a different way than how I would do it, but that's okay. You know, and sometimes, you know, what they come up with may not be as perfect to my eyes as, um, uh, as it is, you know, to their eyes, but that's also okay. Because the, the goal here is not to find a unanimous sense of perfection. Um, the, the goal here is to really just move um, and to actually progress and, and, and learn, you know, uh, as we progress. And um, so I think that that's really important, you know, because I think for many of us, especially people, I think, who, who have had success in life, you know, there's a tendency that we, we have to be in control of everything and we have to do everything ourselves. Um, but uh, IE has really taught me otherwise. And, and that was a hard lesson. Um, you know, I, that was a, a, a very uh, difficult but valuable lesson. Um, so those are, I think, some really, really key lessons that I learned um, through my MBA experience that I think will, I will carry with me, you know, uh, till the day I die. Um, and these are the kinds of things that, you know, you can't really just learn uh, by reading a textbook. Yeah, they're not intuitive. It's something that you really have to experience. Definitely. Terry, if you if you look kind of ten years out with Firefly, mm. like what's what's the best case scenario for you? What, what does success look like ten years from now? Um, I would say that uh, we would have a really robust, um, you know, accelerator um, and uh, uh, incubator, you know, um, going. Or we would have a network um, of public health entrepreneurs. Uh, hopefully, uh, the a global first. Uh, I don't think it quite exists, um, not in this form uh, uh, yet. And um, and you know, and that we are able to connect um, the teams that come through our platform, you know, to funding, um, so that they themselves can be, go on to become successful ventures. Uh, that would bring me tremendous uh, satisfaction. Um, and, um, and, and I, you know, I would, uh, like for entrepreneurship, uh, as a concept, as a process, uh, to be become mainstream, uh, in the field of public health, public health historically has been very wary of public sector mechanisms, uh, to drive, uh, public health change. And so this is definitely uncomfortable, uh, for many people in public health. Uh, but just like what I did with system science and obesity and chronic disease, prevent, disease prevention, you know, uh, in the last, uh, uh, what, 10, 15 years, um, I'm hoping that in 10 years time, you know, um, people will think of entrepreneurship in the context of public health uh, as just second nature. Before we turn to you as a person, I just want to finish off with a couple of uh, rapid fire questions here. So if you only had two hours a week to focus on your research, what would you focus on? Gosh, um, I would probably, I wish I could spend all of my time on building Firefly Innovations. <laughs> uh, to, to, I mean, I, this is really kind of where my passion is right now. And I really want to see it uh, take off. Um, and I really feel like we're onto something. Um, that has the potential to transform the field in, in, and do a lot of good um, for society. Uh, so if I had the, if, 
you know, if I have all the time in the world or only two hours uh, a week, uh, as you said, you know, I probably want to focus on, uh, you know, writing about it, disseminating our ideas about Firefly um, and, uh, and, and fundraising, you know, finding some resources to sustain um, my staff. Um, but I have a lot of other research teaching and <laughs> responsibilities. And uh, so I need to balance my time uh, against all of those other uh, sets of tasks. Looking back at yourself at 22 or 21 when you were coming out of university or undergrad, what kind of advice would you have given yourself? Oh, that's a great question. Um, probably take advantage of more courses. You know, I feel like I was always, you know, a little impetuous. Um, I was always kind of in a, in a hurry to get done, you know, to, 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 to move up, you know, if you will. Um, and so, you know, I think that, um, I, I could have taken, you know, a little bit more time to just take advantage, you know, of like the course offerings, you know, uh, at my university, um, focus on developing and keeping up, you know, with more hobbies. I mean, that's, I think one thing that I'm definitely realizing, especially now this week, you know, that <laughs> would be very, very helpful uh, in helping me cope, you know, with the current situation. If I had uh, more hobbies that I can engage in, um, you know, at home. And, uh, and, and I think that this is a good uh, reminder, you know, that like thinking ahead, you know, retirement age, you know, definitely, mm-hmm. definitely more hobbies. I mean, I have obviously interests, you know, things that I like to do. Um, but I think over the years, I, I, I have been so consumed by my work um, that it's been hard to uh, really uh, take the time um, to keep up uh, with those hobbies. Terry, I've got one word for you, golf. That is the perfect, retire- <laughs> perfect retirement <laughs> hobby. <laughs> is that allowed? Probably not right now, right? I, I think you have to do it in your apartment. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, only we golf for now. Okay. Right, right, yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have, Terry, accomplished obviously really incredible things in this world. Like, for example, you you've published 150 papers, almost 150 papers. You've you've done your PhD, you've you've completed your, your MBA at one of the premier institutions in the world. And so you've obviously had this drive to achieve, and you've spoken about that a little bit. Do you know where that comes from? I think that I'm naturally a curious person i think curiosity um is a main driver for me um i also maybe related to that i think i get bored easily so i (laughs) i think this is partly why you know i mentioned that i you know i I didn't really plan it this way it just kind of worked out over the course of my life and now i've kind of made it into uh you know a a guide uh, for myself um, you know, to reinvent myself every five years. Um, and, um, and I think that that is really important. You know, for me, I need that, that I need that dynamism, you know, I need change. I like change. And, um, and, and so like this notion that, you know, we're always kind of, um, on the move and there's always something new uh, to learn, um, and more dots, you know, to connect. Uh, that is a huge motivator for me. 
I love that. You said that a couple of times, but reinvent yourself every five years. I've got to be honest. Originally, when you said that, I felt my palms get sweaty and I thought, oh my gosh, like that's a terrifying thing to consider. But now, now that you've said it a couple of times, I think I'm going to adopt that myself. And that's just, uh, it's liberating almost in some ways to know that you have to change. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, and, 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 and you may decide to stay put, you know, uh, when the five years is up, um, but that, you know, you can stay put and do something different, you know, so it doesn't always mean that you have to move or go to a different job. Um, but, but I do think that, like, this has helped me like not get stale. And it has allowed me to come into contact, you know, with uh, different spheres in our world. Um, and, 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 and that exposure is critical to understanding the system, right? We can't under the system if we don't actually see and experience um, the different components of the system. And, and, and it's only until you actually see and experience them that you're able to actually connect the dots to connect, you know, these components um, and figure out like how you could potentially make the components work better, um, you know, with each other. And, uh, and ultimately that is what it's going to take uh, to address complex issues like the obesity epidemic or the corona- coronavirus epidemic. Um, so yeah, that's uh, really, I think, at the, at the core of who I am and, uh, and what drives my work uh, now. Well, I'm, I'm sure that will resonate with a lot of the listeners out there. Um, I know that people like you, Terry, that achieve so much and constantly put themselves out there with their own ideas and um, beliefs and creating things from scratch. I know that people like you and, and people that listen to this podcast entrepreneurs, business owners alike, they, uh, they face challenges and they have to figure out how to push through those challenges. So I'm interested to know from you, assuming that you've faced all these challenges, how do you uh, deal with resilience? How do you stay resilient through challenge? You know, I, I think back to like some of the tricks I've developed, like, you know, over, over the years, uh, since I was a little kid. <laughs> You know, oftentimes I would um, play games in my head. Okay, if I if I did this, then you know I'll be able to do this other thing. You know, um, and so I think that it's important that we kind of set um, to to get ourselves started. You know, we need to kind of set like small achievable goals, and then once you achieve those goals success then breeds success right so those goals could be something as you know silly as you know i am just going to um run around the block like five five laps today okay and after that i'll be able to you know go do this other thing um it could be something very silly and um but but part of that is to kind of build up this sense of self-efficacy that yes, you know, um, I can do this. Um, and, and that belief I think is half of the battle. Um, and then the other part I think is to focus on just doing 
your best and not worrying too much about the outcome. I mean, of course, I would lie. You know, I would be lying if I said that I didn't care about the outcome. Everybody cares about the outcome. Mm. But there's also something really valuable about the process. Um, and if you did your best and the outcome doesn't come out quite, you know, like how you imagined, like that, that's okay. Because we don't always get what we want anyway, right? Sometimes we do and sometimes we don't. Um, but knowing that, um, you know, you did your best and you learned something in that process, uh, whether it's about yourself or about how you work with other people or something else, that's extremely valuable. So not forgetting the importance and the value of the process uh, apart from the outcome, I think is also a very uh, uh, important piece. Um, and I guess the third thing I would say is being strategic about where to invest energy. Um, you know, the, there's only, you know, time and energy, um, you know, are finite. And so, uh, so one does have to be strategic, right? Um, and I think one of the things that I, I try to do, um, just a, it's a habit or a skill that I, you know, um, kind of picked up, um, throughout my life is I try not to dwell on a problem that I can't solve for too long. So if I can't solve it, I'm, I, I move on to something else and then come back to it another day. Um, and it helps me to be efficient and build up more self-efficacy as I get other things done. So, um, you know, so for me, that's also another way um, to, again, you know, uh, slowly but surely, you know, build up the resilience uh, in the face of, you know, complex life or professional challenges. Well, I'm a ruminator myself, so I constantly look back over things that I can't control. So I've had to learn myself how to kind of really narrow that focus and uh, understand that, just like you said, those problems that you can't solve or that are outside of your control, you kind of just have to move on. And so, um, yeah, I've had to do a lot of learning around around that. Otherwise, I would literally drive myself crazy. What do you think is the most important thing looking back over the last year that you've learned? Over the last year? Oh, gosh. I don't remember what I did yesterday. You asked me about... <laughs> what did you have for dinner last night? <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, last year uh, that I think is the most important... Well, I mean, I guess, you know, the launch of Firefly, you know... Uh, you know, which happened last year, um, you know, it, I think is really, really crucial. And I think I, um, you know, uh, I, I, I brought on a, a small but dedicated team, um, again, you know, completely through a bootstrapped, you know, manner uh, to really help uh, drive Firefly Innovations, um, you know, forward. And we made some, I think, good progress uh, just in the last, uh, you know, six months. Um, I think that that's, you know, uh, really, really great. And sort of giving the the team the freedom, you know, and the the leeway um, and independence um, to uh, to really be creative and and put their own vision forward. Uh, that's been hard you know for me to do sometimes um but i think that 
but it, it has um, paid dividends. You know, it has allowed the team um, to take it further uh, than if I had to be in control at all times. So one thing that we always do at our weekly Strive meeting, so it's a, a weekly meeting of, of entrepreneurs and business owners. We meet it from 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. once a week, Monday mornings, and we, we set goals and hold each other accountable. And then each week, one person uh, has the opportunity to tell the rest of the group, hey, this is my blind spot. Like This is what I think is holding me back from achieving higher levels of success. And then as a group, we go around and we really just drill down to, to what that exactly is and, and to offer some advice and feedback. And so I want to turn that question to you, Terry. And I, I'll ask for a little bit of vulnerability here, but mm-hmm. looking at yourself, what do you think is holding you back from achieving even higher levels of success? It's a great question. I think for me at this point in my life, uh, I'm reevaluating what success means to me. And success to me is not necessarily making more money or publishing more papers. You know, um, success for me is really a rebalancing of my work, um, in my personal life, uh, in my other pursuit of my other interests. Um, and, um, and I, I, I'm finding it difficult, um, to make that pivot, um, as much as I would like, uh, in part because of all the modern day trappings, you know, um, living in a very expensive city and, you know, having to pay the mortgage and, you know, uh, uh, indulge in, and eat and indulge in the material, um, you know, uh, stuff, you know, that we think we need, but we really don't. Um, and so, you know, and, and so I, 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 there, there are days where I think, gosh, you know, I could, um, move out of New York and I could have a, completely different life, um, you know, where I may be able to have a better balance. Um, and, um, uh, you know, but, but it's difficult, you know, it's hard to give up, you know, what you currently have, um, and like start over. Um, and so, so I think what's holding me back really, you know, is, is just that is sort of like these uh, economic trappings, you know, if you will. Um, and, uh, uh, but but little by little, you know, I, I find myself kind of shifting, you know, um, I think I'll get there eventually, it just might take me a little bit of time. Um, but I, I definitely am at a at a point in my life where I don't really want to keep doing things that I don't want to do, <laughs> that I don't yeah. enjoy. Um, and, uh, and there are parts of my work um, that I absolutely love. And then there are parts that I really don't enjoy. And I think that, you know, I would like to be able to make more conscious choices um, in terms of what I spent my time on um, going forward. Um, And that's probably uh, the lesson, you know, between now and uh, when I turn 50. (laughs) And uh, yeah, and um, so, so yeah, so I think that, you know, that sort of like, for me, the higher level of success uh, is really just that. It's a rebalancing of how I spend my energy. And I'm not quite there yet, um, but I like to be. 
Well, Terry, I uh, am just honored that you were interested in sitting down for this conversation. And I know that you've inspired me to be much more open to change, especially given the circumstances going on in the world right now. And and um, when you spoke about that desire to change every five years and reinvent yourself, that really resonated with me. And so I just want to thank you for sitting down with us and for sharing your knowledge, your insights, because you're somebody that is always striving for more. And you, I'm just uh, just really grateful that you wanted to sit down. And for the listeners out there, if you want to learn more about Terry, you can find him personally on LinkedIn at Terry Huang, H-U-A-N-G. You can also learn more about Firefly Innovations by staying tuned at sph.cuny.edu. Terry, I am honored that you sat down with us today and, and thank you for sharing your knowledge. Hey, thank you so much, Jared. Uh, It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Firefly Innovations Podcast from the CUNY Graduate School of Public Health and Health Policy. Keep an eye out for new episodes on our website at firefly-innovations.com or by following us on social media at CUNY Firefly Innovations.